Welcome to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast, a product of Talent 409. We are helping people discover their talent altitude. Each episode will bring you a conversation with people that display the seven pillars of dynamic leadership. Someone who possesses those seven pillars has courage, drive and accountability, integrity, grit, great communication skills, a high level of emotional intelligence, and they can motivate others. Have questions for me or a guest? Email me at colin at talent409.com and let's chat. That's colin, C-O-L-I-N, at talent, T-A-L-E-N-T, 409.com. This podcast is available on Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Radio.com, iTunes, and Apple Podcasts. If you like the show and want to help us grow, please take a minute and on Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating and review. All right, real quick, I just want to remind everybody that the mailbag episode is coming out on Monday, September 30th. That's the last Monday in September. We had five Mondays. I thought it would be cool to do a mailbag episode instead of my usual solo pod type episode. If you haven't gotten your questions in already, today is the last day. Today being Monday, the day that this podcast comes out. So don't wait any longer. And now on to my featured guest, who today is one of my best friends, Mr. Dan LaDuke. Dan is a great person. He is an assistant baseball coach for the Liverpool High School Warriors baseball team, Liverpool, New York, just outside of Syracuse, where I grew up. This is a great conversation, and I'm not just saying that because Dan is one of my best friends. So let's get right into it. Here is my conversation with Dan LaDuke. Okay, everyone, welcome back to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. Today, my guest, one of my best friends from the Syracuse area, Mr. Dan LaDuke. Danny, thank you so much for joining the show today. Colin, thanks for having me, bud. Absolutely. Definitely so excited to get into this conversation, talk a little bit more with you about athletics and about coaching. But first, I want to give you an opportunity to tell the listening audience a little bit about yourself. So please tell us, who are you? All right. So Dan Duke, as you said, I work in special education at Liverpool High School, high school we graduated from. It's kind of cool to be back there working. Uh, I also am one of the assistants on the varsity baseball team. And uh, yeah, Q's born and raised, bud. Yes, you are Q's through and through. And <laughs> also obviously played baseball on the uh, varsity squad. I mean, baseball growing up, but at Liverpool High School as well. But I'd love for you to tell us a little bit more about athletics as you were growing up, what it meant to you, some of the things that you learned. Can you walk us through that a little bit more? Yeah, so athletics provided me with some of the best opportunities I've had in my life. You know, I met some of my best friends like you and a whole bunch of the other guys. Uh, you know, we still talk all the time. You know, people always say, like, it's like a brotherhood, you know, like family. And it's definitely true. When you're in a part of the team and, like, growing up, like, the sacrifices you all make kind of teaches you 
how to contribute to just normal society too, you know, like just normal jobs. I think people who have been through athletics probably make a better worker than just normal people who've never been part of something like that. Do you think that was something that you realized when we were younger? Like that was something you were cognizant about all oh, these sacrifices I'm making, the work ethic that I'm building, this is going to help prepare me for life after sports. Was that something going on in your head? Early on, no. But I do think that, you know, especially seeing it from the coaching side now, I do think, our, especially our group, we had a better understanding of that than some of the other groups I've seen. I think we, we kind of all bought in to that whole culture of sacrifice and, you know, picking each other up and all that. And I, so I do think, you know, come junior, senior year, I think, you know, that's when I really started to get a grasp and understanding of it. So growing up, obviously played more than just baseball, although baseball ended up being your sport of specialty, if you will. But tell us a little bit, (laughs) tell us a little bit about some of the other sports that you played. And when did you decide that you wanted to take baseball on full time? Honestly, the sport I played the most growing up was basketball. I still like basketball is my favorite sport to play even more than baseball. But, uh, once I got to about five, six and I stopped growing, I decided that I had no future in basketball. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basketball, uh, plays a lot of golf, still play a lot of golf, which I think helps with like discipline and accountability. It's a good sport to kind of build that on, especially if you start young, but those really the main sports. I never played football. I, I love football, but never played it. I don't think I could take a hit. I don't know if I'd get up. <laughs> yeah, I've always wondered if I could take a true hit too on a yeah. on a football field with my size being even shorter than you are. But when you talked about the friendships that you developed over the course of your time playing sports when you were younger, can you speak to that a little bit more? I mean, you talked a little bit about how impactful that was, but can you really give us some insight into what that's meant for you now in your adult life? Yeah, I mean... Even now, all my best friends are the kids I grew up playing with, you know. We got Willie. He's, you know, been one of my best friends since kindergarten. We played Little League together. Him and, like, his whole family. You know, you guys started playing, what, Modified? You, me, Justy, Sparky, the whole crew. You know, I was just with Sparky the other night. We grabbed the drinks, you know. Every time we get together, it's like we never were apart from that long, even if it's been a year since we've seen each other, you know. I think that's uh just shows how how close we all really were and I think like I said, I think it just comes down to going through the grind with somebody and a group of people and it really just just brings you closer. Yeah, absolutely. I can totally relate to that and uh I think I tend to agree for the most part that when you're in battle like that in athletics, I mean it's not life and death like it is for, you know, somebody in the military, for example, but you're still trying to do everything you can to help your team and contribute and support other people. And that just brings you closer together. I mean, I think about all those team dinners that we had growing up and just the different things that I learned from you and from other teammates and how that's made me a better person throughout my life. So definitely really powerful. I'd love to hear a little bit more about now that you get into high school 
start to, like you said, not growing anymore. I had that same problem. So we're not playing basketball. We're not playing football. Baseball seems to fit our physical stature. And we happen to be decent enough at it that we can also play at the varsity level. But I'd love to hear a little bit more about what that experience was like for you. I mean, as far as work ethic goes, what it took to become a starter on a team that won a sectional title and got very close to making it to the final four in states. But talk to us a little bit more about that whole varsity experience and how that set you up for the next stages of your life. Oh, man, it was, I still say some of the best times of my life. It sounds cliche like that. Like, oh man, high school was the best time of my life. Like you see in movies. <laughs> stuff, but, but it really was like, we learned I just remember every summer, those 6 a.m. workouts, we'd all be there, right? A couple days a week, we'd go hit after, we'd do some fielding stuff. We were always working. It's kind of, it doesn't happen as much anymore, to be honest. Like, we don't have workouts anymore in the summer because kids stop coming. And being able to do that with, you know, your group of friends, I think that held everybody accountable, too. It's like, ah, this, you know, we wake up, like, ah, I don't feel like going today. But I knew, like, you and Steve, I knew the guys were going to be there. So you push yourself to go there. And then I think it just makes you a better person to go through stuff like that, you know? But, uh, you know, being able to play a couple years, Coach T, you know, he's still one of my best friends out there. Talk to him every day. The stuff he taught us, he was great speeches. We still make fun of him for those. <laughs> but, uh, really, I mean, he challenged us. He definitely, you know, pushed us as hard as he could. And I think we all, you know, learned from it. And I think we're all better people because of it. A lot of fun. It was a great group. We actually had at town of clay camp. We were talking about in front of like the campers, coach may was asking T, you know, who's you know, your favorite group. It's gotta be the state championship team. He's like, yeah, they were good. But he looked at me and he goes, that 06, 07 group might be my favorite group of all time. You know, he said that we were probably one of the closest teams he's ever, he's ever seen. And I think it's definitely true. And I think we all, like I said earlier, we all, it doesn't matter if it's been a year or two years since we've seen each other. We see each other. It's just like nothing's changed. You know, we're all back as a family. And I think that was the best part of being able to play. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting perspective. And I'd love to hear your thoughts because... Obviously, we won a sectional title, but I think collectively, if you asked us as a group, we fell a little bit short of some of our ultimate goals. And just think about some of the things that you read on a daily basis in sports media, on the internet, in books, whatever it is. And you read about these teams that, quote unquote, fell short of expectations. Maybe they didn't win a World Series or a Super Bowl, whatever it was, but when you talk about the impact that those two years specifically had on our lives and the things that we accomplished together and the things that we've done since then as potentially a result of that hard work and that camaraderie that we built, that we built, what do you think is the reason that teams don't get that same level of togetherness these days? Cause you mentioned how the, you're not doing the workouts anymore. That's, crazy to me to think. I, I, I remember some of the similar, same similar thoughts that you had. I wouldn't want to go. And I knew Ryan Judd was on his way over with his bike. <laughs> I was like, all right, I guess I got to go six o'clock yeah, in the morning. Yeah, like, exactly. 
last thing I wanted to do, honestly, was work out that early in the morning. And I liked working out. You know, I still like working out, but geez, that early in the morning in the summertime, all you want to do is sleep. But what do you think are some of the reasons that teams aren't, because I feel like this is across the board. This isn't just like a, a baseball thing or like a Liverpool high school thing. But what do you think are some of those reasons why teams aren't as close as maybe they were when we played? I think it really goes back to, I hate to sound like old man on the porch yelling, but like just <laughs> society in general is different. It's very individualized. I think people are way too worried about themselves. You know, and I'm probably guilty of that at some points too. So it's just a totally different, like we didn't have Instagram, Twitter, even Facebook when we were in high school. You know, like now I think people care more about their image and visually what they're being perceived as instead of actually being an actual person, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, and I think that trickles down. I will say like our team this past year reminded me a lot of, a lot of how we were. They were super close, all in together. They did a lot of like team, full team activities. It was good to kind of see that brought back. I mean, they fell short of what we ultimately wanted to accomplish, but it was actually one of my favorite teams to coach because it reminded me a lot of us. What do you think that relationship building aspect for that team specifically? I mean, that didn't just probably happen this year, right? Like that had to be nurtured throughout the years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just like with us, you start playing in seventh grade. If you're basically with that same group of kids through senior year, give or take a few or like one year, you know, somebody get brought up and you're down or vice versa. So I do think it takes a while to build the culture. But I also think, at least for like Liverpool, we've had such continuity in our coaching staff and our coaching philosophies. I mean, it's the same. I mean, Coach Francisco's not there anymore, but Coach Parsons took his job and he helped him out for years. He's a Liverpool alum. So I think it just, we all have kind of this built-in culture. And I think it starts, you know, seventh, eighth grade. And by the time you get to junior, senior year, you keep saying you've been through a lot of battles, a lot of sacrifice with this group. And this past year, they really took a hold of each other and held each other accountable, but also picked each other up. And it was, it was good to see. Absolutely. It's got to be awesome when that happens because it's far less frequent than it used yeah. to be, unfortunately. But so I, w- I definitely want to talk a little bit more about the culture and the coaching aspect in the conversation. But first I want to go back and talk a little bit more about you specifically, go back to that individualism that we talked about. (laughs) You're in high school, playing baseball, having the time of your life. Talk to us about what your thought process was for some of the next stages in your life. Like, did you want to continue to play baseball? Were you recruited? What did you want to do once you finished up at Liverpool? (laughs) That's funny because that's one of the things I had the hardest time deciding on because I didn't really know. So getting into teaching, I had no plans on that leaving high school. I know a lot of people now, they're like, oh, you know, right after high school, I want to go here, get a teaching degree. But I was like, I, I don't know what I want to do. I had no, no clue. So that's kind of what ultimately led me to go to OCC. I uh, almost went to Mohawk Valley Community College. Their coach recruited me pretty hard. I mean, recruiting Division three junior college. They don't recruit that much, but you know what I mean? <laughs> sure. But that actually, I was pretty much all set to go there. And then 
we almost bought Proctor at our field, so I didn't want to go play with any of those guys over at Mohawk Valley. So. Fair enough. So I went to OCC instead, basically because I didn't really know. I figured I still wanted to play baseball, you know, and that was a good opportunity to go play. I mean, I went there, started every single game I played there. It was a blast. We weren't that good, but, you know, I met a few other friends who, you know, that's where Gavin and I met. who's shortstop. I was second baseman. He's one of my best friends now, too. And after that, there was a couple opportunities to go play uh, Oswego and Brockport mainly. But I kind of actually reached my – I was good not playing anymore after my second year at OCC. I think I finally kind of got sick of the work morning workouts and all the time. I you have to put in because in college it was even more than obviously what we did in high school. And that's when coach V asked me if I could help him out with the JV team because Pascal had shoulder surgery. So he was coaching the JV team for a year. So after my baseball season, OCC ended in early May or so started helping him out coaching. And that's kind of when I got the bug. And then after that, I was like, you know what? I think I like being around kids and like, you know, doing this, you know, we've done the town of play camp. So that kind of gave me a little bit of uh, experience working with kids. And so I decided to go to Lemoyne and uh, just coach and focus on getting a degree and getting into teaching. Now, obviously there's a lot of similarities between teaching and coaching. What have you found to be some of the most powerful things that you can translate in both professions? Like where are some of the places that you're most efficient as far as your teaching and your coaching style go? I think for me, it's my personality is very laid back. I mean, you know, I'm very laid back, not too, I don't get too riled up about things. And I think that helps me in both. So teaching, I work with some difficult kids and not getting rattled and just kind of staying even keeled definitely helps. Same thing with coaching. I mean, I'll get a little more riled up because I'm pretty competitive, but also like, I think I do a good job of kind of playing the good cop on the team, kind of settling kids down, you know, and things are going a little tough or they're a little frustrated. I think I'm very good at, you know, saying a joke or just keeping the uh, tension down or relaxing them. And so, yeah, I think that'd probably be one of the better qualities I have for that work in both fields. Can you tell us about a specific example? Maybe you don't have to give away names, but a specific example where you were the diffuser and how you went about that oh yeah for sure i mean you think about all the time kids kids missing signs or kids not getting a bunt down and people get on them pretty you know because it's a big it's a big spot you got to get out right totally all for you know accountability and you know I'll, i'll even get out and kids for not doing stuff here and there but you know when you have three coaches you don't need three guys on a kid, especially because guess what? He's got to go out and play, you know, somewhere in the field right now. Yeah, he screwed up a bunt, but guess what? He's got to go play right now. We can't have him taking that out into the field. So that's usually what I'll just pull him aside. Like, listen, bud, it's all good. You screwed up. We've all done it, right? You'll pick it. Everyone will pick you up. You'll get it done next time. You got to forget about it. Just get back out there, right? You're out of the next play, next pitch. So kids are smart obviously. And if they have three coaches on their team and they know two of them are going to jump them a little bit more than maybe you would, how do you still build that professional relationship where even though you're the one who might offer a little bit more 
support and can be that ear for listening in times where they may be struggling or dealing with some difficulties and they need somebody to vent to. How do you draw that line where you can still be the, I want to say authority, because I don't want to make you out to be like a dictator, but somebody yeah, that sure. is is the coach and you still need to be respected. You know, you can't just come to me complaining all the time and expect nothing right. to come from it. Right. I do think early on coaching, that was a uh, more difficult, you know, when you're 21 coaching 18 year olds, they basically just see you as the same as them. Mm-hmm. But now that I've been doing it for years, I mean, it's my 10th or 11th year doing it. I think, you know, I've gone past that point of having to not earn the respect, but in a way you do. So I think really just the, the years of, uh, being there have helped, you know, I've seen, now I've seen all these kids since they were in seventh grade. So they know me forever. A lot of them have come to baseball camp. So they've, you know, come through that way. Uh, so I do think it's easier now than it was at the start. Not that I ever really had any problems at the start either, but it was, it was a little more difficult to kind of get out of kid for not doing something. If you're only a couple years older than them, you know? So that really goes back to what we were, talking about earlier, just how as with a team, it's really difficult to build the type of culture you want in a year or two years. It's got to be something that starts maybe back in seventh, eighth grade. You're seeing it as your relationship with the players as well, making it easier to have a full-fledged responsible relationship with them, one where you can be the good cop, but one where you can also have the authority you need to be to be an effective coach because you're getting to see these players go through the process now. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, very cool. Before we talk more about some of this culture stuff and some of the things with coaching in general, I want to talk about baseball in particular and get your perspective. Obviously, high school is different than the major leagues, but every level of baseball is influenced by what's going on in the big leagues. And I'd have to imagine without having seen a ton of high school baseball, admittedly over the past few years, but I'd have to imagine the game of baseball at the high school level is vastly different than it was when we played. And it wasn't that long ago, what 12 years ago since we graduated. Tell us about what some of those differences are. Like are there two or three huge differences as far as the actual game goes? To be honest, the difference, it's not, as much as you think, I don't think. In high school, you're not worried about launch angle and all that garbage. And def- I will say defensive, like we now keep like spray charts and try and, you know, we'll, we don't shift, but we move kids almost every pitch or every batter, you know, on the hole or up the middle, the middle guys. And so that, I think, has done a little more than I think we just kind of went out there and kind of figured it out on our own and, but I don't ever remember like T or anyone else like shifting us a certain way. I think we all just kind of figured it out. I do think with kids now though, they're not as, and I don't know if it's a product of them or if it's a product of overall like overcoaching. I've noticed a lot of overcoaching from some other teams that we sit there and we'll make fun of them as we're coaching against them because you know, it's some of the same coaches that were there when we were there, and now they're like all over every aspect of the game. We don't do that as much. So, 
which I kind of take pride in, that we still kind of do it our old school way. But I think it's basically that would be the main difference from when we were playing. I also think that talent level isn't as good as when we were there. I say this all the time, the guys. You think about some of the kids that were pitching against us. I mean, every team had a legit number one ace that was throwing heat, good secondary pitches. Now there's like a couple in the section that are good, and that's it. And that's just a total difference from that point, too. That's really interesting. So how do you go about evaluating what you need on a year-to-year basis? Like, has that changed because the level of competition has changed? Like, are you looking for different types of players, or are you still just really looking for full-blown baseball junkies that want to do a little bit of everything? I think we just kind of, it goes year to year, depending on what we have, what we have coming back. We will, you know, think about some situational kids. Like there's might be a kid who isn't very good, but if he's fast and this decent base runner, we're going to keep him because he might, you know, be able to pinch run in the sixth inning of a sectional game and score the winning run. You never know. So we do look at things like that. We'll try and piece together. But besides that, we're basically just looking for baseball players in general. We don't have, I mean, honestly, I think we only cut a few kids each year. The numbers are super down for tryouts. So it's almost like we're just piecing together teams from what we have anyways. It's not too many big decisions that have to be made. Do you think there are ways internally or even with the school district where they could do more to promote baseball as a sport that can be something that's really rewarding and something that's worthwhile for the kids' times. I mean, obviously we're seeing some challenges across the board with the sport and interest level and different things like that, but are there things that we can do to get kids excited about playing baseball so we can have a higher turnout? Right. I mean, I think it starts at the youngest levels, which this past year we actually had huge numbers for town to play camp, which was good to see because it's been going down and down each year and then this year was a pretty big spike up but even in liverpool i mean there's only one little league now when we grew up there's four now there's i think center griffin north still has one but they're mostly beville kids and then salt city srs and liverpool little league are just one league now so there's only i mean baseball's a sport you can't just pick up in high school and you know that i mean you have to play it your entire life you have to start young to be really good at it so with the numbers just in liverpool in general going down like that it's it's tough to get kids uh to pick it back up or see the benefits of it i think a lot of kids think it's too slow i think the mindset today is like what's next 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 and you know i think sports like lacrosse or even like soccer like they're way more fast-paced i think it's easier to have kids latch on to them as opposed to having to really think. And I think that's what baseball is so mental, which is another great aspect of it because it makes you think deeper than just what's going on in front of you. You have to think about so many different situations and you know, that is another aspect that helps you in life too. But hopefully we'll see a, you know, a little upswing in baseball numbers uh, in the next few years. 30 second break to talk about my sponsor Sweat with Stott. What a great sponsor she is. She's been with Pod since day one and we love having her support. So 
Sweat with Stads offers a number of different options to get you on a path to improve your fitness future. Everything from fitness, nutrition, and simple healthy habits. So what are you waiting for? Head over to sweatwithstads.com right now, and when you buy a program, enter the code DYNAMIC at checkout to receive a discount for being a loyal podcast listener. Now back to the show. All right, let's go back to some of the culture talk. We've talked about how the best way internally at the high school level, at least to by the time the kids get to you at the varsity level is if they have been through the culture treatment, the things that you want them to believe in and the way you want them to represent themselves as Liverpool baseball players, that they get that from sixth, seventh grade on and carry that with them all the way up through varsity. As far as your specific work though goes when you inherit these 10th graders, now 11th graders, and they're coming to play for you the first time. What are some of the culture things that you as a coaching staff try to do to continue to nurture that and continue to build that for your specific team? Is it a little bit different than what you'd expect from the lower levels? Um, I mean, yeah, definitely. I think it's like a perfect balance of the way we work, you know, you're held accountable in seventh, eighth, ninth grade, but we also like everybody plays, you know, you play your three innings or your four innings and then the subs come in and, you know, there's no, I mean, you have to work to play, but you, if you make the team, you're going to play. And I think that changes a little bit at the JV level, but still, you know, you get to play here and there. And then varsity, you know, it's, you got to work your tail off just to get out in the field and you might, get a few at-bats the whole year. And I think we build not, you know, threatening kids not to play them, but I think the, throughout that whole process, kids start to learn how hard you have to work and the time you have to put in post-practice. You can't just show up for the two hours at practice and that's it and think you're going to be good because it's not going to happen. We have a lot of kids who will go hit, do extra stuff, extra fielding work. So I think, you know, one of the main aspects of our culture is just that, that hard work, post-practice, post-pre, before, after practice, uh, always kind of grinding. I think that's, like I said, how it's kind of built up from seventh grade on. And, I, you know, accountability, we do a lot with uh, accountability in school. Like We don't take any issue. If you have an issue with teacher, like, you're just not going to make the team. We don't have kids that are going to have – referrals and detentions like we're just not going to deal with that so i think that's you know something that we take a little more uh kind of serious than the younger coaches younger level coaches you know we say if you're not in school on time you better have a doctor's note that says you're at the doctor or else you're sitting that day you're not going to practice you're not going to play that game you know there's no leaving school early none, none of that so i think that's kind of where the differences between the younger levels of varsity is when it comes to stuff like that. Is that something that is like year round that you're holding them accountable for, or even the, the extra work that the expectation that you're putting in some work, maybe when there's not a scheduled practice during the season, for example, like, is that something that, cause I know obviously like for us, we used to work out pretty much every single day as a team and, 
when we didn't have the gym, we would be in the hallway or be on the track or football field or whatever it was to just be together for an hour, hour and a half every single day. Is that type of thing still happening or is it a little bit different as far as that aspect goes? That still happens. Like once school starts, we'll have workouts again and uh, we usually start in October, start doing that. Throughout the winter, we'll try and get a gym or something to do a little bit of fielding work and pitching work. We run pitching sessions starting in November up until the season starts two days a week over at uh, Perfect Practice. Just do it like our arm care. And this is the first year we did it like as a full program. And you can definitely see the difference in the pitching. So I'm sure we'll be doing that again this year. But yeah, no, the kids, they're, they're still together pretty much all year. We do our hitting still starting in January every Sunday night. And that's good because it kind of allows us to see all the kids. So it's 7 through 12. So we get to see some of the younger kids that we don't really see during the season. So that's pretty much our only time we work with those kids. And then that's how you start to build a relationship with them, too, for the next few years. You know, you see them that once a week. But then next thing you know, they're on the varsity team. and They're all yours. Is it important for you and for the rest of the coaching staff to identify either a single player or a group of players that's really going to be those player-led individuals that can take some of that responsibility and some of that onus off of you and T and everyone else when, I mean, you can't be around them all the time, obviously. So is it important to identify those people early and maybe have a conversation with them and say, hey, we expect this out of you or we're looking at you to be a little bit more of a leader? How does that work? I honestly, we don't ever, I mean, we've had that conversation a bit, but I think it's just something that's kind of been ingrained to go back into the cult. Like that's each year, you know, there's a senior or junior that does it. And then the next group sees them do it. And then once they're gone, that group takes over and does the same stuff. So it's just kind of like passed down. So we've never, like, we don't name captains. We don't, have individual meetings with kids and say, you know, this is what you need to do to lead this team. We just kind of let it happen, let it form itself, which I think helps because I don't know, like if you like name captains, I think it it can put it on just that kid or those few kids where we kind of want everybody to be accountable and everybody to be a leader and obviously leader in different ways. You know, some kids are on the field leaders, some kids are practice leaders, some kids are off the field leaders. So I think it kind of helps to have a balance within the team to just kind of let it figure itself out, especially at the high school level. I mean, the kids have so much going on, you know, trying to pick out, like we were talking about, what are they going to do the rest of their lives? You know, they're under a lot of pressure. So I don't think, uh, you know, they need us to kind of tell them how to figure it out. They just kind of do it. I think it's just been passed out from team to team, really. That leads us to a really interesting point. At the high school level, how important is it for you to be cognizant of development? So not only of baseball skills, but skills that are going to have that are going to help them when they leave Liverpool High School and when they leave the baseball team. Like, is that something that you're having a conversation around all the time? Like maybe when you're on the bus or you know during some of those downtimes. Yeah, definitely during downtimes, like the Myrtle Beach trip is a good trip for all that kind of stuff to happen because we spend so much time with the kids off the field. That's kind of when we not give life lessons because we're not, you know, (laughs) forgetting philosophers here, but 
you know, it's just when you have more normal talks with the kids that, you know, you really kind of learn who they are and they kind of see a different side of you too. And so, yeah, we definitely have those conversations with the kids and, you know, we always tell them you guys feel free, especially once, you know, if you graduate in college, like reach out. If you have something going on, have a question about baseball, about anything. I mean, we all went to college. We all have done exactly what you did. So if there's any questions, you know, always feel free to reach out. Do you get kids that actually take you up on that offer? Yeah, here and there. I mean, we stay in touch with a lot of the kids just in general. Um, but yeah, every once in a while, we'll have some kids ask us about, you know, if they're thinking of transferring or thinking about different degrees or, you know, if they want to get into teaching or if they want to get in the business field, you know, they'll pick our brains about it. You know, one thing I love is I think, I mean, I'm sure it happens everywhere too, but we have so many kids that always just come back and it's, you know, it's cool to see a few years after they're still in college, but come May, you know, they're, they're at the first game and that they can be. And after the game, we're sitting there talking for an hour with all of them. And I don't know, it's just fun to be around, you know? As a coach, work us through some of the evolutions that you've gone through over the years. I mean, you talked about earlier learning more about your players and some of that's a product of just being able to get to know them when they're younger. But how have you grown as a coach? What are some of the other things that you feel like you've improved on and maybe even want to throw in some of the things that you're still looking to get better with? Yeah, I think, you know, I kind of hinted at it earlier. When I started, I was so young, and almost on the same level as the kids. It was a little tougher to, I would say, like how I said, I was the, uh, you know, kind of the more laid back one. But I think back then I was almost even a little too laid back, um, where I've kind of learned when to step it up a bit and when I've learned better to, to balance, basically, you know, when to get on a kid, when not to get on a kid. So I think that's been like the main growth that I've had. I mean, the rest of it, baseball is baseball. I mean, I've learned a little bit more about situational happenings in the game, but I mean, we were baseball junkies. We knew all everything pretty much anyways, once we even got into high school, you know, we were studying the game from a different level, which I don't think happens very much anymore. We actually like give homework to our kids to go watch games and (laughs) Stuff like, like, you guys have to just watch it. Just watch the game. Or I'll send YouTube videos of, like, different coaches talking about just different stuff in the game. I'll send it to the our, like, group chat. Like, guys, just please watch this because this is exactly what I was talking about yesterday at practice or something like that. So the technology piece is really interesting to me. Sending YouTube videos to your players and having them watch film. I mean, I don't know that that was so much of a thing when we were playing. I mean, we watched games, obviously, like you said, we were junkies, but breaking down film, maybe specific clips from a certain game or a situation because maybe kids aren't as involved in baseball as they were in our generation. Do you feel like that can be a really powerful tool moving forward? Like, being able to connect with them. I mean, they watch YouTube. Yeah. That's something yeah, they 100%. do. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, well, say if you're going to be like an old man and stubborn about, Oh no, we're not going to use that. Like then you're just going to fall behind. You don't <laughs> want to overuse it, but you got to accept it. It's part of life now. Right. Phone, every kid has an iPhone or something like that. And you might as well use it 
as a tool when you can. Or just talking, I, I'll keep going back to this year, past year's team. There's, we still like have our group message going and if you know, Sunday night baseball is on, a lot of the kids, this, that group watches a lot of baseball and we'll sit there and we'll all be texting each other about different situations that just happened in the game or stuff like that, which is, it's cool to see it. I'm excited for next year's team to see if they really, you know, continue it because I do think they're closer to what we were than some teams in the past have been, which is, it's fun to see. Yeah, it's got to be exciting as well for you. So individually, just you as a coach, now you're 10 plus years in. What are some of the goals that you have as far as maybe some of the other things that you want to do and how you want to contribute to the game? I'm assuming you want to stay in baseball and continue to coach, but can you tell us a little bit more about what you'd like to try to accomplish in the future? I mean, obviously, yeah, don't have any plans on leaving coaching anytime soon. But besides that, I don't know. I always tell like people, I was like, oh, do you want to go for like a head coaching job? I don't think I do. I think I fully admit like I'm a better assistant than I would be a head coach. But I think, you know, I think that's good to know about yourself. I'm not, I mean, you know, I'm not a super like authoritative type of person. And so I think that's why, you know, as far as I know myself, so I'm going to, I think I'm a better number two guy. Plus, just the responsibilities that comes with it are just crazy that I wouldn't want to deal with anyways. <laughs> so, but definitely, as long as T's still coaching, I'm going to be right next to him. So, and who knows what will happen after that. I know I don't want it, though. <laughs> we always joke about who's going to take the job after he goes, either me or CJ. And I'm like, it's all you, man. I do not want the coaching job. <laughs> no, I think that is really good on the self-awareness scale like obviously being able to recognize it's just like anything you know whether it's a corporate business job not everybody wants to be a ceo you know not everybody wants to be a head coach some people are perfectly fine just like you talked about earlier with the players there's different type of leaders there's on-field leaders there's off-field leaders leaders in the weight room whatever it is and i think that's really cool that you have that recognition where you make the most impact and that may change somewhere up the road. You may find that you get an itch to do something a little bit more or take on more responsibility. But uh, I think that's, that's really cool. And I I would even dare to say probably a little bit unique for some of the conversations that I've had with coaches where, you know, they're, they're even less experienced than you are. They're maybe like one or two years in and they're already trying to gun for a head coaching position. (laughs) If you were to move on to a head coaching job, what do you think is like the biggest thing that would help you? Like where where is the area that has prepared you the most to potentially take that next step in the future? I think I could. I have no problem like saying that I could definitely do it. I think the best thing I've learned from T would be to have some good assistance. <laughs> I think that's a huge part of it. I, you know, you got to build a good group around you before you start to build the culture of the whole program. I think it starts with who you hire as assistants and younger level coaches. I think that helps the whole program really. That's where I would start. So that's pretty much like the recognition of just understanding that you can't do everything alone. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so the reason that, I asked that follow-up is because I'm trying to get some 
insight from you. Maybe there's someone listening to this episode that is potentially thinking about getting into coaching and starting at an assistant level like you are, whether it's volunteer, paid, whatever it is, uh, any level of coaching. And I want to give them some more of a deep dive into what coaching actually is like and what it takes to get to the different levels, depending on what it is you want to do. So that was why I asked that question. And I'd love to hear just a little bit more about specifically like what type of commitments and sacrifices you have to make to be a successful coach. Like, can you tell somebody if they're maybe teetering one way or another and you can (laughs) get them to say, Oh no, I I can't do that. I don't have that time commitment or yeah, I can do that. I think that's exactly it. I think I've always said I'm not going to be like half in. So even as like a volunteer assistant coach, um, you know, if something comes up here and there, I'll miss a practice or, you know, he has no problem with that, but we're pretty much there from day one. Uh, we go, we have weight room in October, you know, all Sunday night hittings and throughout the winter we're, we're all there all the time. Even if we're just volunteers, um, I think to do it right, you have to be all in. It's not to say that you couldn't, you know, come and go, but I just don't think you'll build the relationships that you need to build. I don't think you'll, I think it'd be harder to gain the kids respect if you're one of those coaches that's, you know, I'm here once a week, twice a week, but can't make it all the time. And um, so I think if you're looking to get into the coaching field, you got to be able to, that's got to take priority from day one. And that's in my mind, the best way to do it, really the only way to do it. And if you're not willing to do that, then I don't know if it's for you. I mean, there's other ways to do it. You could not be a coach, but you could do some lessons here and there, do, you know, fielding, pitching, hitting lessons or whatever sport you want to do. You know, that's a little bit of a different way to kind of get that coaching itch scratched, but then you can make your own schedule and you can only do it one day a week. So that's not a bad, not a bad alternative route to go. But I'd say if you're looking to get into coach, you want to coach, Especially, you know, higher levels, you know, varsity baseball, college baseball, you have to be all in. That's great advice. And from a more practical standpoint, can you tell somebody that if they're like, yeah, I have that time, I'm bought in, but they don't know how to maybe apply for a coaching job or who to approach to get into coaching? Do you have some advice for people that they could connect with to get involved and get started? Yeah, um, I think it would start with just talking to whatever sport it is, talk to the varsity head coach. Right? Even if you want to help out with a modified team, I would start with talking to that varsity coach. Because then there is a lot you have to do, at least in New York, just to be able to be a volunteer assistant. You have to take classes, you have to do CPR, first aid. Like That's a huge list. It's actually kind of a pain, and we it makes it difficult to find good help. Like I'm Even as a school district employee you have to go through 10 different loops just to be able to be certified as a coach too which i think is just new york just trying to make money but that's a different subject (laughs) Uh, so you know obviously it depends on the state and what the requirements are but your varsity head coach will know that and he'll get you in touch with you know district hr kind of takes care of all that and that'd be the best way to go beautiful all right danny well The show is called Dynamic Leaders, and obviously there's been a lot of people in your life, I know you pretty well, that have influenced you and have made an impact in one way or another, but 
I'd like to give you an opportunity to shout out one or two people at this point that have been somebody that you've looked up to for leadership qualities or have just, like I said, really made a significant impact on your life. Yeah. I mean, I think it's coach T hands down. I think as a group, you know, like our group got pretty close to him. You know, we did a lot of off the field work. Um, you know, I've painted with him for years. Now I teach with him. It's, you know, he's kind of showing me the ropes. If I ever have any questions, he's like one of my go-to people to go ask, you know, even before my parents, I'll be like, Hey T like what, you know, what does this mean in my retirement? Like just <laughs> stuff like that. Like, cause I don't know any of that stuff, you know, and he's taught me a lot. Jeez. I mean, just watching him coach every day, watching him, you know, raise a family with kids or what, like, you know, I, you know, in the future, like I'll definitely be hitting him up for advice on all that stuff. And, uh, yeah, just on and off the field, he's been, you know, somebody he's looked up to and one of my best friends and going to continue to work with him for a while, hopefully. That's a great shout out and an awesome way to end this conversation. But Danny, before I let you go, if people are looking to learn more about the Liverpool baseball program, or if there's a way that they can get in touch with you specifically, can you give us some ways that people can reach out if they've enjoyed this conversation or want to learn more about the program? Yeah, it's kind of funny, though. We don't really have any social media for Liverpool baseball, so we're kind of old school like that. But through the district, um, you know, you can always email me, you can email T, any of the coaches. Yeah, but besides that, we don't really have any uh, we don't have a Twitter page or Facebook page or any of that. So you probably should. <laughs> I was just going to say, so you're looking for some social media help. Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> we need somebody to take over the social media aspect of the Liverpool baseball program. <laughs> All right. Well, if anyone's listening and wants to help get that launched or relaunched or whatever it is at this point, feel free to reach out about that too. But <laughs> Danny, this has been a great conversation. I've really enjoyed the insights, especially that you gave us into the coaching world, some of the challenges, some of the things that are fun and great about the job as well, but certainly enjoyed the conversation and appreciate you taking time to hop on the show. Yes, sir. It's great. It's awesome, man. Really appreciate it. That wraps up my conversation with Dan LaDuke. Thank you again to Danny for hopping on the podcast. It was great to catch up and hear a little bit about what's going on in his world. He's obviously got some great perspective, championship perspective that he was able to share with us today at the high school level. And I hope you were able to take a lot away from our conversation together. Quick shout out to my sponsor, Sweat with Stods. Go to www.sweatwithstods.com today and figure out what she can do for your fitness future tomorrow. Thank you as always to my listeners. You are great coming back week after week. We are back on Thursday with another edition of The Lion Chat with Danny Fay. Stay tuned for that.